Let us begin with a prayer. Our Father and our God, we thank you for this day that you have given unto us. We thank you that we can invite you in our midst and know that you will be here. Lord, we thank you for each one that you have brought to camp this year. And we ask that you would touch the hearts and lives of those individuals who need it most. And we all need it. We know all need your spirit to direct and guide our lives. And Lord, we thank you that you love us and that you care for us and that you will provide for us. We ask that your blessing would be upon us in this evening. We ask that you would cover this auditorium in the hollow of your hand and that your spirit would work mightily. Lord, we thank you for the power of your word. We thank you that we can have your word present with us today and ask that you would teach us from your word. For we pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I had many things prepared for the service tonight, and I think I'm going to do things different than what I had prepared because it's a different group here. But I'd still like to begin in Mark six in, in Matthew sixteen, Matthew chapter sixteen. Um, but before before I begin the reading, I just wanted to think about in the things that I've seen change in my lifetime. I'm sixty three years old, and I've seen a lot of changes in the world. Even the things, the, the first house that I remember living in when we first came to the United States in, the, in 1956, it didn't have a thermostat because the heat was coal heat. And you, the, the way you controlled the heat was that if you wanted more heat, you shoveled more coal into the furnace. There was no thermostat that would do that for you. And the basement in the house, part of the basement was set aside for coal. And the person would come and deliver coal. He would open a window in the basement and there would be a chute and the, the coal would come down and uh, fill up that corner of the basement with coal so that you would uh, be able to have, to be able to heat the house with that coal. There was no air conditioning in private homes, never mind in a car. So on, on days like we have here, there was no air conditioning. We did have fans. The telephone that we had was a party line, and I think most people here don't even know what a party line is, but a party line was that 
four houses shared that one line that and probably people young people can't even imagine that that uh, but there were four houses that would share that one line the phone would ring individually for your number but if someone else in another house was using that phone you couldn't use the phone in fact you could listen in onto their conversation because it was the same line that uh, and uh, but uh, that's that's how it was. The, the refrigerator we had, you had to defrost it. So every couple of weeks, or every I, I don't remember how often, you had to empty the refrigerator of food, and you had to clean up the ice that was built up on on the on the coils of the refrigerator, and you did that by putting. A, a bowl of boiling water in there so that it would melt the uh, the ice there and uh, a lot of those things today don't exist anymore I don't know of anyone that heats their house with coal a party line is unheard of these days and people have a phone that's probably uh, several hundred phones, close to uh, 900 maybe, that are in this room right now, and, and everyone has their own number. And on that phone, you probably have a camera, you probably uh, can take still pictures with that or video pictures with that, uh, you probably have a GPS, so a lot of the things that we used to use, a still camera, is, is, uh, is going away. And, uh, and video cameras, that it used to be a big thing to take a, uh, on a video camera. And then you have internet access and voice recognition on, on, the, on the phones. And uh, there are many changes that are happening these days. Even now we're talking about that there would be self-driving cars. You don't need a driver anymore. You tell the car where to go and, and it goes, that uh, they're working on those things. And uh, we also have available almost the entire human history at our fingertips, that you can search something and find almost anything. That was something that we didn't have also. If you were had a family that had an encyclopedia, you were lucky to have that. An encyclopedia was volumes of, of uh, printed books from A through Z, uh, and uh, in order to find something, you'd have to look through those books to, to find that. Now we have ways to look at that quite quickly. So a lot of the things that I've seen change, many things have changed. And I see how many things have gotten automated and things have gotten easier. And I was thinking, we should have a ton of free time because those things that took a lot of effort to do 
now are automated for us. But sometimes I see it the other way around, that it seems like we had more free time back then. I, I remember that Sunday afternoons we would sit out uh, on the lawn and the family would get together and there would be time uh, to talk. And, and sometimes I don't see that happening now. We seem to be more and more busy in the things that, that we do. But looking at the things that have changed, there are things that have not changed. God's word has not changed. And God has not changed. It says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'd like to read in Matthew 16, verses 13 through 19. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they say, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and other Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I've read through verse 19. Here Christ is coming and asking his disciples, who do people say that I am? That, that who, what do people say about Jesus, who, who he is? First he asked that, and then he asked his disciples, and who do you say that I am? Their answer wouldn't change who Christ is, but he wanted to see what they had learned from his teaching in the years that he had been with them. And Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said unto him, You didn't receive that understanding from earthly sources. You received that understanding as a revelation from God the Father in heaven. And he says, Upon that rock, I will build my church. I don't think he was saying on Peter he would build the church, 
But I think he's saying that solid foundation of the revealed word of God given to mankind is the foundation that he would have for the church. And that is still the foundation today, that God has revealed to us and especially to the church of who he is and who Christ is. And that's a real miracle to have that kind of direction and that kind of insight that is revealed by God. And that's something that he has given us as, as a gift. And he has also given us the church as, as a gift. He says uh, uh, that uh, he will build the church. He says, upon this will, will he build the church. And he is the one who has built the church. He has created uh, local churches. He has created churches uh, uh, nationwide. And he has created uh, uh, churches that would proclaim who he is and, and uh, what he uh, has come to do upon this earth. And he would do that through the church. And uh, the church is really his body upon this earth. The church is here to do the work that, that he would have done if he were upon this earth. He came to this earth because he wanted to experience those things that we experience in, in the, lives that, the lives that we live and he wanted to go through that himself so that we could relate to him. It's not that he had to find out that understanding of the things that we go through. It's that he already knew those things. But he wanted us to be able to come unto him as one who has also gone through those things himself. He was born as a man. He grew up. He was a child. He went through those things that, we, that all children go through. He was obedient to his parents. He listened to his parents. His parents corrected him. His parents, we, we remember in the temple there where, where they came and, and they asked, uh, uh, we were looking for you. Why have you done this? And he said he must be about his father's business. But then he also said, he, was, he went back with them, and he was subject unto them. He went through the same kind of things that, that we go through. We have that same thing. We have our parents who have, have given us uh, instruction, and we have had to, to listen to, to our parents. And to, he went through that same thing. He went through pain. He went through sorrow. He was born so that he could die because, because of sin, 
sin was really the 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 reason that he came to to take away that sin and one of the things that uh, that we have to realize is what what that sin is and what that will do to us and we have to realize that there's going to to come a day of of judgment that uh, there's uh, going to come a time when we will stand before God and that he uh, he will uh, he will go through those things in our life and he will ask about those things in our life that we have done, and he will go through, and, and I imagine it that, he would, that I would stand before God, and he would go through the events of my life, and he would say that, did you do this, did you do this, and did you do this? And I would have to say, yes, I did those things. Or things that I were supposed to do and I didn't do, that I would stand before him and say, I knew I was supposed to do that, but I didn't do that. And we have to recognize that guilt we have to recognize that there is going to come a time of judgment, that there's going to come a day of judgment, and we will stand before the Lord, and we will have to give an account of those things that we have done. In Second Corinthians 5.10, it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. That's going to happen. That's a certainty that will happen because it says so in God's word. And I'd like to tell a story of an account of an actual event, and there are two parts of it. It's about a, a trial, and it's a trial for a Nazi officer in World War II. Now, this officer was in charge of the concentration camps that were set up there and he was in charge of transportation of taking Jews to the gas chamber. And after the war, he changed his name, he hid out in a foreign country, and he thought that he would never be caught but he was found out. 
and he was put on trial. And they brought before him all those documents that he had signed, that his signature was on there to bring those people to the concentration camp. And he was on trial for that. And his defense was, I had no choice but to do that. I was just passing on the orders that I was given from a higher level, and those below me would carry them out. When I was signing those documents, all I was saying was that these are the orders from above, these are the orders that you have to carry out. He said he had no choice but to do that. But this says we have a choice. Maybe his, he was thinking that he has to do this in order to keep that position. He has to do that in order to keep his rank or maybe in order to stay alive because if he didn't do that, he might have been executed for not following the orders that he was given. But he still had a choice. He had a choice whether to do that or not. And he, he talked about that at his trial, and he tried to convince people that he was not the guilty one, that there were other people who were guilty and to, to put the blame on them. But his name was on those documents, and he had signed those documents to bring those people to the gas chamber knowing that they would be killed. So he really had a choice. He had a choice whether to sign that or not. Maybe it would have cost him his position. Maybe it would have cost him his life. But we have also had brothers in the church who have not taken up weapons because they were read in the Bible that they shouldn't kill. And that also to take a stance on that, that if, if I am asked to, to go into war and to take a weapon and to kill another person, I'm really taking away their chance of salvation, their chance of knowing who Jesus Christ is. And that's not my right to do. So they chose not to take a weapon. And there were many of those who were put in jail because of that, many of them who had families. There were many uh, men who were put in jail, some for m many years, and their family had to struggle to survive because they chose to obey God. They chose to obey God 
and to suffer whatever consequences there were for that. Because they knew also that there would be a judgment at the end when we would all stand before God and give an account of those things that we had done. And that's something that we should tell other people about too because it is an event that is going to happen. That's not a very popular message. It's not a message that a lot of a lot of people a lot of churches don't even talk about that, don't even focus on that saying that there will come a time where you will stand before God and you will give an account for the choices that you made. And the outcome of that is heaven or hell, eternal life or eternal damnation in hell. And that's something we have to proclaim because that's part of the Word of God. That's something we have to tell other people. And that's something that many people don't want to hear. But it's something we have to consider in our life, and we have to choose today how we're going to behave, because we are going to give an account for the choice that we made today. And that choice is going to determine where we spend eternity. At that same trial, there was another person who had known this Nazi officer. This was a person who was in the concentration camp. He had seen this Nazi officer when he was in the, when he was in the concentration camp. And he had seen the way he acted toward uh, them and toward other people and uh, how, what his actions were. He was at the trial of this Nazi officer. And as he came in there, he looked at this man who was that Nazi officer then, and he fainted just by looking at him. And they brought him back to consciousness and said, you know, you don't have to be afraid of that man anymore. You don't have to worry about him. In fact, he was inside a glass, bulletproof glass booth with armed guards around him. They said, you don't have to worry about him. He can't harm you anymore. And the man said, that wasn't the reason I fainted. The reason I fainted was because when I saw this officer in the concentration camp, he had this uniform on, he had this hat on, he had boots on. He was a 
impressive person to look at, and the way he acted was very impressive. And he said, but when I came here today and looked at him, he looked like an ordinary man. And he said, I thought, is there something within ordinary men that can cause such evil to take place? And I think that's the exact question we all have to tell, ask ourselves. And the answer is yes. There is something within ordinary people that can make them act in such an evil way. And that's a sinful nature. And we all have that. And if we were to stay alive with that sinful nature, that nature would control us. That nature would take over us. And that's the reason the man fainted, because he, he realized, could there be something within me that would cause that kind of evil to happen? And yes, that is sin. That's also not a very popular topic, that, and it's a, a topic that many uh, churches that I've heard about don't really concentrate on. But that's really the question that we have to answer. And that's the thing that we have to know. That's the, the, the choices that we make, the choices that we uh, do every day, if those are controlled by that sinful nature, then it's going to lead us in a path that's going to spiral downward. And that we're going to do the things that we can't, don't want to do. I think of in, in Romans 7, where, where it talks about the... the uh, In, in starting with verse 8. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it slew me. Wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and just. Was then that was good, made death unto me, God forbid, but sin that it might appear sin, worketh death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. For I know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not, but what I hate, that do I. 
If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find therefore a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Son, our Lord, so that with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. And here the Apostle Paul is talking about a time in his life where he knew what sin was. He had learned about sin, and he had read in God's word about uh, this, this uh, sin and the sinful nature. And he had read about God's commandments and God's, in, in God's word also. And he said, yes, those commandments are good. He said, but when I try to do them, when I try to do those commandments that I know are good, I find that I can't. I find myself doing other things. I find myself doing evil. And that's the sinful nature that we have. But there is a way that that sinful nature can be taken away from us. And that's what Jesus Christ came here to do. And that's the choice that he's giving us today. He's saying, I came to pay the price for that sin. I came. I came as a man so that I could die so that that price for the sin would be paid. That's why he came. He said, if you believe in me, if you believe I came because I love you, and I care about you, and I know you have this sinful nature, but I came to give you a new nature. I came to pay the price for that sin that you have done, and that I will give you, if you have faith in me and trust in me, then you can have a different nature you can have a nature according to the Spirit of God. In Romans 6 it says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many as us were, as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? 
Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also shall walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. That's the choice that Christ has come to offer. He's saying that if you believe in me, if you have faith in me, that I came to pay the price for your sin. And if you pray to me and ask for forgiveness of sin, forgiveness of that sin, if you admit that you were a sinner, as all of us who are converted had to do, that I had to do, to admit that I was a sinner, that I was not following that way of God, but that that, that was offered unto me, that's the choice that many of you have to make today. Are you going to continue in that way where you're being controlled by a nature that came about because of sin? Or are you going to allow Christ to take that nature and to put it on his cross put it upon him, that he will pay for that and that you will have the opportunity to be forgiven of those sins and those sins will have been paid for. That's the choice that is still available today. That's the choice that we have to tell everyone that that is available, that, that to, to be able to have that new nature and to have his, his spirit to come and live within us, that would be available to us. That's the choice that's offered for you today. I remember hearing that many times, and I remember saying, yes, that's true, But I remember also saying, yes, I will do that someday. We're not guaranteed that someday will come. That's why it's today. Choose that. Choose to accept what Christ has come, the love that he has offered, the love that he wants to show unto you in a deeper and in a fuller form to be able to have those sins forgiven. To be able to have that sinful nature taken from you and to be replaced by his spirit living within us. That's the choice that we all have to come to. And if we choose to accept that, 
then we can have life eternal with him. If we choose to reject that, then we are responsible for our own sin, for what we have done. And we will have to pay the penalty for that because when we stand before that judgment, we can't say, I had no choice. We can either say, I accepted your forgiveness, I accepted your sacrifice that you made for me, or we will have to say, I did not accept that sacrifice that you had that you did for me and then we will have to pay that punishment which would be an eternity in hell. It seems like a clear choice but there's also an adversary who's going to make it difficult for us. That's Satan. He's going to try to convince you Okay, you'll make that choice someday, but just not today. You can make that choice, but why don't you have a good time with your friends first? Why don't you live, try to live life to the fullest first? Then you can make that choice. Why don't you wait until the last minute and then give your life to Christ. But we never know when the last minute will be. So he says, make that choice today. And those who have made that choice to follow Christ, tell others the story. Tell them the story of how Christ came into your life. Tell them that it's real. Tell them that this is what he has come to offer, and this is what he has done in my life. Tell as many as you can, because that's a story that should be told, and that's a story that would glorify God. I pray that each one would take seriously the choice that is offered today and that you would make the choice. We read it uh, before that uh, it was uh, the opportunity to choose life. He's, in, in, the, in the Old Testament, he, he said, uh, I give you the choice to choose between life and death. And that should be an easy choice. And he said, choose life. So for those who have not made that choice, choose to accept what Christ has offered unto you. Those who have made that choice, tell someone else in this room about how he has changed your life because what he has done for you, he will do for others too. May the Lord bless his word. 
So I'll pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we lift our voices unto thee in prayer at the close of this service, once again thanking thee for the outpouring of thy Holy Spirit that we felt here this evening, again at Eastern Camp 2017. We're so thankful, Heavenly Father, that so many of our prayers have already been answered as we begin this week at camp, that we have felt thy presence, that the call has gone out, that thy name has been lifted up, and thy Son, Jesus Christ, has been glorified. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that as we bow in prayer unto thee in this evening, that there would be many here who would be thinking within the innermost parts of their hearts at this very moment, what will I do with Jesus? Silent and neutral, I cannot be. Someday he will be asking, what will you do with me? Oh, Lord, I just pray that those whose hearts have been pricked in this evening hour and have heard the call, that they will respond to that call and invite Jesus in. We pray, Heavenly Father, that not one would leave this camp this year without having to come to full recognition of their sin and their need for a Savior. And that each one of us, Lord, could be built up and edified and strengthened in recognizing that the choices we make every day will either honor or dishonor our living Savior. And so we pray, Lord God, that each one of us will take to heart this important message, this important theme of camp this year, that we would choose very wisely each day, each day anew, and the mercies are new, Lord God, to serve thee with all our vigor and zeal that we have, and that, Heavenly Father, that we would indeed love thee with all our heart, soul, and mind. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank thee again for thy presence in this evening hour. Be with us as we would continue on with inspiration, time, and continue to touch hearts and change lives. For the sake of thy kingdom, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.